Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Good news often comes with a high price. And for leaders, that's what a lot of us experience come promotion time right? Good news, you're getting a promotion. Not so good news, you have to leave the team you trust and enjoy working with. I'm going to talk about how to handle this transition emotionally and operationally as we watch Captain Sisko go through this in the fourth episode of the sixth season of Deep Space Nine, Behind the Lines. This is a later season Deep Space Nine episode, so we're going to need to set the table just a little bit. The Dominion have attacked the Alpha Quadrant at this point. Well, the Alpha and Beta Quadrants, but they only ever seem to mention the Alpha Quadrant. Well, anyway, the Dominion, if you recall, is the primary force in the Gamma Quadrant, which we are connected to via the wormhole that Deep Space Nine guards. The Cardassians have allied themselves with a Dominion, giving them a significant foothold over here. At the end of the fifth season, about five episodes ago, the Dominion forces captured Deep Space Nine, renaming it Terok Nor, as the Cardassians called it when they occupied Bajor. Since this time, the Federation has done two significant things to give it a chance to even survive. First, they sabotaged and eventually cut off supply lines for Ketracel White, that's the substance that Jem'Hadar soldiers are dependent on. On a daily basis, I consume enough drugs to sedate Manhattan. And they mined the entrance to the wormhole, so any Dominion forces coming through will be destroyed, along with the wormhole itself. With those two things, the Dominion, the more dominant military force, is forced to reestablish its operations on this side of the wormhole, which is given a little reprieve to the nearly defeated Federation forces. Okay, now that we're mostly caught up, let's dive in. Our DS9 crew has been operating out of Starbase 375, launching attacks aboard the Defiant against the Dominion, you know, just kind of hit and run kind of things. The crew is in pretty rough shape, but Cisco has built a ritual and tradition to help keep their spirits up. Take a good look at this, people. It says something about this ship. It says that we will fight and we will keep on fighting until we can't fight anymore. Yes, sir! You don't just throw something like this away. No, no, sir! It's a tradition he started after they drained phaser arrays to rally the team. You can hear how it keeps him going. It's a tough spot most leaders never dream of being in, but Cisco is adapting and keeping the team focused and keeping their morale as high as he can. 
Admiral Ross, who's the head of the star base and the frontline commander of the Federation defense in this sector, informs Cisco of a big mission for the Defiant. They're going to take out a massive sensor array in the Argolis cluster, which will take away much of the Dominion's tactical advantage. And Cisco is eager to begin planning. On the station, we run into some of the people that were left behind the lines and the key players from the Dominion. We've got Kira and Rom that seem to be working, doing daily tasks for the Dominion. Jake, who's Cisco's son, who's recording the activities and acting as an embedded reporter of sorts. Quark, who's still running his bar, and Odo. Odo is still the head of security, which, which really hits me as odd. Like, he was in that role during the Cardassian occupation, then again with the Federation, and now with the Dominion? I loved the Sympathizer so much. Seems like a role you'd want someone who is loyal to you to be in. Hmm, well, we'll see what happens there. On the Dominion side, we have Gold Ducat, who we all know well here on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Damar, who we met back in the 33rd episode of the podcast, which was Return to Grace. And he seems to be working for Odo on the security forces. And the Vorta, who are a Dominion race, named Weyoun, that we've met in a few previous episodes as well. He's there. And then there's also the creatively named Female Changeling, who, for all we can tell, is the Supreme Leader or the the manifestation of the Supreme Leader of the Changelings and represents the Great Link. The Great Link is the totality of the Changelings. The prior DS9 crew on the station, we're going to go ahead and call them the Resistance, are doing what they can to disrupt operations. The pad contained a draft copy of a secret memorandum he was working on concerning the shortage of white. In it, he speculates that without the drug, the Jemadar will run amok, killing everyone and everything in their path. Damar recommends that if the Cardassians can't bring down the minefield and reopen the supply line from the Gamma Quadrant, they should poison the last ration of white, eliminating the Jemadar before it's too late. Damar actually made that entry, but Rom swiped it and made sure the Jemadar got their hands on it. Temporary pandemonium does little, though, to really shake things up but it did help drive a further wedge between the Cardassians and the Dominion. Keep your voice down. Our men need to see that we're still allies. Odo confronts Kira on the plan. He didn't sign off on it. He's pretty upset. I spend my days sitting on the council with Dukat and Wayun, doing whatever I can to make sure that Bajor survives this war intact. The last thing I need is to have you running around causing mayhem. This is a rough spot for Odo to be in. At some point, that desire to protect becomes appeasement. And a little down the road from there is total defeat, totally bowing to what the bad guys want. It's great intent that he has, but it almost never works. Either way, this is really forming a rift between Kira and Odo. Well, perfect timing that is for the female changeling to enter the chat. After Kira leaves, she starts putting the pressure on Odo. This is not your home. You belong with your own kind as part of the Great Link. Cisco, while planning with the Admiral, gets some great, maybe terrible news. Sounds like it's not going to be easy to find someone to take her place. I already have. You. Sir? Cisco's now Admiral Ross's adjutant, and command of the Defiant is given to Dax. He's conflicted, but he also has full confidence in Dax and the crew. Odo and the female changeling are doing as she's suggested, and they're spending time together. 
She misses the great link. It's on the other side of the wormhole. And she tells stories trying to bring him back into the fold. She pressures him to link with her. Linking is where two become one. And it's the foundation for the great link. As much as he tries to resist, he eventually caves and they link. Later, Kira freaks out about this. In that state, when they're linked, they have access to many of each other's thoughts. And she's afraid that Odo may have compromised the resistance. That sounds like a perfect way to manipulate someone. Despite his confidence, Odo is different. He's changed. He's calm and relaxed. He talks about wanting to learn more about his heritage, but ultimately, ultimately he agrees to not link again. Now, remember our buddy, Damar? Well, he's feeling good. He just got promoted to Gull, and he's celebrating with some vintage Kanar. Quark, doing his part for the Resistance, possibly making one of the biggest sacrifices of his life. This one's on me. Gets him drunk and gets him to talk. Damar has figured out how to take out the mines blocking the wormhole. Rom, who helped engineer the mines to be self-replicating and a near-perfect deployment, confirms that Damar's plan will actually work. The Resistance gets together and figures out a way to sabotage his plan. It's high risk, but if Damar is successful, the war will be over and the Dominion will dominate. And it all depends. The whole plan depends on Odo running a scan that'll provide the cover they need. And it's time. Rom has his tools, and Kira's helping get him to the crawl space to shut down the systems. The timing here is critical. He's going to interrupt the sensor alarms at exactly 800 hours. But Odo's MIA. Fact, he's so MIA, he's in mid-link in his quarters right now. Kira makes her way there, but it's too late. Rom assumed that Odo would follow through, and he sets off the alarms. It's all. The whole plan is falling apart. Well, at Starbase 375, Dax brings the Defiant back, intact and successful. Cisco has a bittersweet moment. Take a good look, because this says something about us. That we're willing to fight, and that we'll keep on fighting until we can't fight anymore. Yes, sir! Dax is rocking it, and the crew is totally behind her. This makes Cisco's new reality all the more real for him. Well, back on DS9, Kira busts into Odo's room and she lets loose. What the hell happened? Why didn't you disable that alarm? And he doesn't even care. He says these things just don't seem to matter to him anymore. And Kira can't believe it. Horrified and brokenhearted, she leaves his room. And to add to that, during their whole conversation, the female changeling was hiding in his room. She heard the whole thing. Odo has totally sold them out. We end the episode with Rom in custody and the Dominion about to take down the minefield. And we'll have to wait until Favor the Bold comes up for us to find out what happens next. <coughs> Deep Space Nine is often heralded as the first truly serialized TV show. While that is patently false, check out my other podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time for more on that. They certainly did it in a way that opened the door for the hyper-serialized prestige television that we all enjoy today. And it's episodes like this that really show why. Real consequences, lasting changes to characters, and cliffhangers that almost carry the weight of the best of both worlds. Or even modern-day Star Trek that ends right when they're about to reveal something big. 
This was a great episode, and I really enjoyed it. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! Hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to my friends at FameTech. They have some really cool Star Trek products available, including some really cool Qi chargers. Some people call them key chargers or QI chargers. Either way, check them out at fametech.com or click the link in the show notes to see the cool stuff they have. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Right out of the gate. Starting strong, this one was directed by LeVar Burton, by Jordy LaForge. One of the cool things Star Trek has always done is develop other off-screen skills for the cast members that might want to do those things. Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner directed original series films. Jonathan Frakes has become a wildly successful director working on loads of properties like Leverage, Librarians, The Orville, and I think he did something like 28 Star Trek episodes and even two of the Next Generation films. But did you know? Burton has a ton of directing credits to his name as well, including NCIS New Orleans and about 27 episodes of Star Trek. The thing is, while Frakes has directed a bunch of modern Trek, Burton has not. So all of his credits are in the TNG to Enterprise era. It's super impressive. Now, two of the three stories in this one were pretty paint-by-numbers, right? Defiant is out doing war stuff, and then the Resistance back home is doing Resistance stuff. It was fine TV. Nothing wrong with it, but nothing necessarily to write home about either. The possible exception, though, being Casey Biggs' performance as Damar. That was fantastic, especially knowing what happens to his character through the rest of the series. In fact, in fact, knowing that makes a few of the scenes in this episode pretty tragic. But the magic in this one came from Odo's story. To fill in all the blanks, Odo is a changeling, but he only recently came to know that. I mean, he's always known he can shapeshift, but he only, in the last few seasons, realized where he came from and why. He was one of a hundred changelings created to be spread across the galaxy to see if we, the solids, were still terrible or not. And ever since the beginning of the third season, when his origins were discovered, he's been on a difficult journey of personal discovery. And this episode is a huge milestone on that road. He has a chance to ask questions. How many of us are there? And learn more about his people. The answer to this is actually pretty cool and a wild thing to think about. The answer is one and many. The changelings are the great link. And they can break off into nearly countless, well, pieces. Or be a singular being, but they are all one. Picard Season 3 adds complexity to this notion, but this podcast episode is about DS9, so I'm going to stick with that. But a real theme in this episode is belonging. Cultural belonging. Odo has always been an outsider since he was first discovered by the Bajoran scientist Dr. Maura Pohl. For the first time, by linking, he has a sense of belonging. If you could experience the link... This is a great stop on his journey and makes what is still to come for him all that bigger of a deal. Command codes verified. If you've ever worked as a manager and changed jobs or promoted, you know that challenge we never seem to talk about, leaving your team. It's somehow just expected that despite forming meaningful professional relationships with a group of people that you're going to be able to just, just leave them with a new manager and start fresh and new with a new team. Like, just make that happen. A reality check, that just ain't how it works. 
I'm going to talk about that feeling of loss that we all experience when transitioning teams. And I'm also going to share my strategy for managing that change and not just operationally, but emotionally as well. I'm also going to share some absolutely galaxy class examples of what absolute trust in your team and coworkers looks like and how to foster that. But first, first, I have something very controversial to say. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. You ready for this? All right, here we go. Work is not your family. It is not. Full stop, period. In fact, saying things like, welcome to the Inatech family is just opening the door to toxicity. Corporate accounts payable, Nina speaking. Just a moment. Promoting a family culture in the workplace sets unrealistic expectations for loyalty and can introduce very harmful power dynamics when a manager needs to be a manager or when a coworker tries to help a struggling team member. There's a great Harvard Business Review article that I've linked in the show notes on this, but, but here's the thing. At work, you don't need a family you need a team of trusted, high-performing colleagues that can get things done in a psychologically safe environment. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not describe most of the families I've seen in action. A tool you can use that many families use, actually, to help create that environment is tradition or ritual. Rituals mark time and create moments. They provide anchors for us individually and collectively. Here in the United States, we are lousy with rituals, right? High school graduations, bachelor and bachelorette parties. Today is my best friend Jayla's bachelorette party. First day of school photos, singing the national anthem at sporting events, watching fireworks on the 4th of July, at winning the Super Bowl and going to Disneyland. These are all rituals that help bring us together and reassure us that all is right in the world. In fact, I think that's partly why the early responses to COVID were so disruptive. We lost so many of our rituals. In this episode, the Federation is fighting a losing war. People are dying, and it is really hard. Cisco and his crew ended up starting a ritual that provides an anchor for everyone and helps to bring them together. Just a little ritual we fell into. This is made more powerful at the end of the episode when Dax continues the ritual and the crew responds warmly to it. Despite the change in leadership, they still had ritual to cling to. What rituals do you and your teams have? One that we've followed since before I came on board and will last long after I leave in one of my programs is our annual winter celebration. We call it the Wright Family Holiday. Everybody brings a gift, and the goal the goal is for it to be a terrible gift. Like, we have this Chia Pet. I'm assuming we all remember Chia Pets, right? Chia! That has kept showing up since before I started working with this group. So, you bring an awful gift. That is subject to regifting, of course, the following year. And then we all sit in a circle holding our gift in our lap. Then someone reads the Wright family holiday story. Every time the narrator says the word right, you pass the gift you're holding to your right. Every time they say left, you pass it to the left. Super simple and a lot of fun. Whatever gift you end up with at the end is yours to do with as you please. But the, the gift, the gift isn't the important part. It's the laughter the camaraderie, the shared experience. It's the ritual that's important. I would love to hear about the rituals that you maintain. Visit starfleetleadership.academy 
and send me a message or click that mic on the bottom right and record your story. Now, hey, let's talk about something simple for a change. Trust. Trust is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, probably because it's one of the most important things a leader or anybody really can focus on and build. In past episodes, we've talked about how to build trust, how to shortcut your way to short-term trust, and maybe more often than anything else, the importance and necessity of trust. But in this episode, we get to see it in action. Cisco and Dax have a long-standing relationship that has actually covered two lifetimes for Dax in both Curzon and Jadzia. Their trust is deep, and it's been tested. Early in the episode, when Cisco and Ross are strategizing, Cisco has a bold plan that will basically defy the laws of astrophysics if they pull it off. Ross is understandably skeptical, but Cisco doesn't even hesitate. What makes you think you can get through? Dax says she can navigate around the gravimetric distortions. She studied protostar clusters. She knows what to look for. She says she can do it. She can do it. End of discussion. I love it. Now I want you for just a minute to imagine this. Your Dax and Cisco is your manager. You talk about a task or a project or prospect or whatever happens in your line of work. And you have an exciting and innovative idea. Because you've worked together, you pitch it and they say they'll consider it. Next day, your manager comes by and says they're going forward with your idea. With this in your mind, imagine this. Picture it. See it. Notice your feelings. How do you feel? In that moment, when you're off the wall, anti-industry practice idea is not only implemented, but without you having to jump through a bunch of hoops and justify your thinking, like just make it so. I don't know about you, but I would feel like I could fly. I would feel invincible. Now, now imagine if your entire team could feel that way. What could you accomplish? It's a lot to consider, and it's wild to think of how powerful this could be. And all that has to happen is to have established trust and then have your manager, leader, liaison, whoever pitches the ideas to the decision makers to share those ideas, your ideas, as your ideas, and pitch them to them. A thing I love so much about this moment is that it's completely in private. Nothing performative here. Just someone trusting a colleague and giving them full credit. <laughs> if people could just do this, what a world we'd be living in, right? Well, it doesn't end here. In fact, as I think about it, when Admiral Ross decided to have Cisco become his adjutant, I'll bet that that moment validated this was the right move. Dax is brilliant. She's trusted and the Defiant will be in good hands. But he does check one more time giving Cisco that chance to share, share whatever he needs to. She is up to it, isn't she? Oh, absolutely, sir. Cisco, on the positive side, could have shared whatever concerns he had about Dax's command abilities or whatever. But on the malicious side, he could have totally thrown her under the bus to hold on to his job. Instead, and again, totally in private, he gave her a full endorsement and a vote of confidence. This was so cool. And this is even more powerful as we see Cisco's struggle with his new role. He was commander of Deep Space Nine and the Dominion took that from him. He was captain of the Defiant and Admiral Ross 
has taken that from him as well. And while he's happy to help the war effort however he can, this is a dramatic and unexpected change for him. In the few seconds we get of Worf in this episode, which really was just to remind us that he and Dax are getting married at some point, but in those few seconds, he picks up on Sisko's feelings. But I sense it is more difficult for you. The Defiant is your ship. First, great on Worf to pick up on that and to say something about it. But it also lays the foundation for a feeling and struggle that a lot of leaders experience. Remember earlier when I said our workplace is not our family? Well, here's one of the reasons why I say that. People leave. You. You will leave. You probably already left some teams and places. And that's a good thing. We should be growing and developing, which often means promoting or changing up companies. It's very natural. It's very good. But it can also be hard. One of the first management gigs I ever had was an assistant manager at a movie theater. Welcome to Regal Cinemas. I'd promoted from being a staff member to a manager, which is an entire other topic for another episode, right? Transitioning from team member to manager. We'll get there soon, I'm sure. But in my role as assistant manager, I built relationships with all the people I worked with. I One of my jobs was to write the schedule, which if you are a schedule writer, I will pray to whatever deity you choose for you, right? That is a rough and very thankless job. But I had to build trusting relationships with people so I could ask them to make sacrifices or make tough choices to help me build the schedule. I mean, we've all been here, right? It's Saturday at 10 a.m. and someone on the schedule calls out. I was usually pretty successful calling someone in to cover because I had built relationships with the team. But then one day, I got the call. I was offered a promotion to general manager of a different location. I was excited about it, but it was a bittersweet celebration. I loved working with this team, and I had to say goodbye. Now, fast forward, even a few weeks or months after the change, and it was all good, but it wasn't easy to get there. Cisco's in the middle time right now, that middle time between loss and acceptance. But he had a thing. He had a thing I did not, and it wouldn't surprise me to hear that you didn't have either. He had a supportive and mentoring manager in Admiral Ross. Ross understands this transition and helped Cisco through it. When Dax was leading the mission that Cisco and Ross had planned, he was restless, pacing, waiting to hear any update. Ross encouraged him to take care of himself and reminded him that he was in a different role now. I know how you feel about your crew, but you and I are responsible for an entire tactical wing. Thousands of lives depend on the decisions we make tomorrow. This is important. He validates what Cisco is experiencing, but then points him towards the reality of his new situation. So how do you do it, right? How do you leave a team on Friday and then start with a new one on Monday, knowing you'll likely never see or work with that other team again? Well, let's do the easy part first, the work-related operational part. Now, I don't want to minimize this, but honestly, this is pretty easy if you've been leading your team well and communicating with them. But there are three things that you need to do to ensure your team is prepared for a successful transition. First, tell them, right? Communicate the news. You can do this one-on-one, -on -one, in a group setting, however best fits your team and your relationships. Second, remind them as appropriate that they are capable. Whomever is coming in to replace you won't pick up right where you left off. So the team will need to sustain itself for a while. Build them up so they have the confidence that they need to do that. Finally, third, ask them what they need before you go. 
This includes wrapping up anything you were working on for them, right? Or at least setting it up to continue in your absence. Or, honestly, you can just bail. That's it, I'm out of here. I mean, it's an option. But the fact you're listening to this podcast tells me you're better than that. Now, how do you handle the emotional impact of this? Like a lot of things in our lives, the emotions never change. We just get better at working with them. Public speaking, delivering bad news, dealing with loss. It's never easy, but we just get more experience with them. Me leaving that team nearly 25 years ago compared to me leaving a team now, there's still emotional experiences for me, but now I'm just more familiar with those emotions and I've worked with them before. Probably the most important thing that you can do in this is to simply acknowledge the feeling. Don't hide it. Don't suppress it. Just acknowledge it and let it be. If you have a mentor, this is absolutely something to talk through with them. Also, know that whatever emotion you're feeling is entirely valid. To dive in a little on that point, when I was promoted to GM, I felt excitement, validation, and loss. This was a promotion I wanted and a cost I had, at least academically, known that I would have to pay. Years later, when I was working for a massive public sector organization, I managed a program that was housed in human resources, even though it had next to nothing to do with HR work. My boss and the HR director called me into a meeting, which wasn't uncommon, but in this one, they were talking about me taking my boss's position. I was asking questions and approaching this like it was a professional development chat. Eventually, the director cut me off and said, I think you misunderstand us. This is your new assignment. You start next week. My boss had been appointed to a position by the governor, and they were shifting people around to cover. Now, this was a promotion I did not want. I had no desire to move into HR proper, but like Cisco, this was my new reality. So in this case, I felt anger, betrayal, and loss. What's important in this is that the feelings are valid, and I took the time to acknowledge them. Second is to remember your role as a manager. As leaders, we serve others and prepare them to do amazing things, right? As long as you've been doing the work around this, developing skills, building confidence, instilling empowerment and accountability, know that they're going to be okay. Your role as a leader is to serve, and you have to keep in mind that others can also serve. Finally, express to the people on the team and the team itself how you feel about them. Keep it positive, right? This isn't a time to air dirty laundry, but let them know how you felt working with them. Maybe share and talk about shared experiences. As, as I say all this, it really, it really makes me think about like in a relationship, it makes me think about closure. Say the things to the people on the team and the entire team that five years down the road, you'd be kicking yourself if you never said. The process I've developed over the years for this is to write it out. Some people journal, that's not me, but if you do, this would be a great journal topic. Me? I write a letter. Sometimes I send it as I'm heading out the door, and sometimes I just save it in a folder for myself. But the act of writing out your feelings for the team and shared experiences is very cathartic. It can also help provide some structure, if that's helpful for you, when you talk to your team. So sticking to the three-step process model in this one, we acknowledge what you're feeling, Remember your role. Know your role. And that others can serve as well. 
Finally, share your feelings and experiences with the team. The harsh reality of this, and any loss really, is that time has a way of smoothing over these emotional moments for us. Like I said earlier, just a few weeks later, I had fully embraced my new team, and you will too. As soon as you dive into your new role, work and time will kind of take over. So know that you will be okay. Feel what you feel and keep showing up every day and you will be okay. And it doesn't hurt anything if you have a great boss or mentor. We rarely have a lot of influence over who our boss is, but we do have influence and can find our own mentor. You can do all that on your own, and I cannot encourage that enough. In fact, if you have heard nothing else in this entire episode, hear this. Get a mentor, because a mentor can help with all of these steps, just like we see Admiral Ross do. Cisco's story in this episode ends with Ross validating his feelings, celebrating his work as captain of the Defiant, and then gently moving him back to the tasks at hand. They're a good crew. I'm What do you say we get back to work? I want to hear about the rituals you and your teams maintain. Visit starfleetleadership.academy and send me a message or use that mic in the bottom right of the screen to share your story. You can also share with me on social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and most of the other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in... Take a good look at this, people. A-K-I-N. Now, computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, this is exciting. On September 8th, 1966, the world was introduced to Star Trek in what is technically the fifth episode of the first season of the original series, The Man Trap. And my friends, that is what we are watching. It's the Salt Sucker episode. Early TOS episodes are always fascinating to me, and I'm excited to watch this one through the Starfleet Leadership Academy lens. And until then, Ex Astra Scientia. Hi, this is Jeff Aiken from the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Most managers and leaders think that leading their team is all about task management and results. But the truth is, effective leadership starts with people first. See, the workforce is changing quickly, and most managers aren't prepared. They're stuck in an archaic leadership style that doesn't work anymore. As a result, their teams aren't giving full effort, and they're losing good employees. That's where I come in. Through the approach and style you've come to expect from the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I can help you become a galaxy-class person-first leader. All of my consulting packages include dedicated, one-on-one -on -one time with you or your small team. I've helped thousands of leaders with the lessons from this podcast. Imagine the results and impacts you'll experience with my personal attention. If you're ready to take yourself and your team to the next level, visit bit.ly slash SFLA Consulting to learn more and schedule a meeting with me. That's bit.ly slash SFLA Consulting 
or click the link in the show notes. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.